Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome along to another RT Rugby podcast. We're in between weeks one and two of the Heineken Champions Cup. I have got Bernard Jackman and Donal Lennon here with me for this week's podcast. Two men who have just about warmed themselves up after last Sunday at Holman Park, fellas. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange experience. Um, at least it was great. There was no doubt about the match going ahead. Um I have to say, we were talking before the match, fellas, we're, we're, we're talking about the fog and how thick it was. It wasn't quite as bad. I was able to go back uh, a long time ago when Australia, the great Grand Slam team of 1984 came to Thoban Park and the fog was so thick you literally couldn't see 10 yards in front of you. Eddie O'Sullivan claims he got a try in the corner, uh, but nobody ever saw it. But uh, So it wasn't quite that bad. Certainly the, the floodlights were a help. It's like that old one, if Munster lose at Thoman Park and no one was there to see it, did it really happen, Birch? <laughs> yeah, look at that. And first thing, I, I think I certainly left Thoman Park reasonably positive about Munster, even though, you know, to lose at home in the European Cup for them is a, is, is a big blow. But I, I think you have to accept they're, they're in transition, they're in a time of change, they don't have the the tools, I think, in some positions, or certainly in, off the bench to challenge the top four or five. I'm uh, sorry, to beat the top four or five, or to expect to beat them, they obviously could have beaten them. But you know, I think over the law, uh, over the course of this season, I, I didn't expect Munster to be to be win the Champions Cup. To be honest, I think, but uh, I think they're on the right track. Yeah, we'll get on a little bit more onto them later on. But I'll I'll start on Leinster because that's uh, our game on RT this this Friday night. I know both of you are going to be at it as well. And talk about a team coming right out of the blocks. They were. They were narrow favourites to win in, in La Harve against, against Rassing. And I know the game had been moved from Paris and that was a slight advantage. But you throw in the, the travel chaos that Leinster had in getting there and the fact that they're just also up against a, a really, really good side away from home. A 42-10 win is about as as emphatic as it could possibly be, Donald. Yeah, look, you, you set your stall out at the start of the tournament um, playing Rassing away from home on paper, looked like an, a, a difficult challenge. I think it probably was a help, the fact that they were able to take it out of Paris because of that that concert. Um, but what I love about Leinster is this this no-excuse culture. Um, you know, it was documented in advance of the game about the 12 or 13-hour delays hanging around Dublin Airport. Uh, I think when they got into, um, you know, when their flight arrived, there was difficulties in, in even getting transport to the team hotel. But the minute Leo Cullen was interviewed before the match, you know, in terms of the difficulties they had encountered, I mean, he was he was the personification of calm, firstly. And he made it very clear, look, that, um, you know, there's no excuses here. We knew what to expect. The game starts and, and, and that's it. Um, and maybe Racing might have felt that uh, Leinster were, were, were put out by the difficulties of the previous 24 hours. But... Uh, you know, Leinster's first four minutes of the game were just so clinically brilliant. Uh, I think Racing gave away three penalties in that opening period. Yeah. Um, you know, Leinster, you know, had a playoff of Maul uh, initially, uh, had another line-out Maul within five metres. I mean, it was so clinically executed. Uh, Leinster running back from that Andrew Porter try, you could see they were up for the game and you could almost sense the, the sense of, of, of shock in the, the Racing players' faces. Um, I mean, if you make a statement early on, uh, that's the way to do it. But, uh, you know, as you said yourself, you go away from home, you score six tries, you win by a margin of 32 points against a team who are currently second 
in the top 14 and we all know what a, a brute force that tournament is. Um, it's an incredible statement to launch a new campaign. Yeah, Leinster were excellent, Birch, but I mean, talk about playing into the opposition's hands. Donald mentioned that there are three penalties inside the first four minutes. I, I remember looking at the game, Finn Russell had the first two touches of the ball for Rassing. He kicked off the ball, three penalties and a try later, he restarted the game again and they were 7-0 down. And I mean, it just got worse from there. 15 penalties to five in Leinster's favour throughout the course of the game. Like, Leinster were excellent, but God, Rassing put it on a plate for them. I know, it was, it was very, very disappointing. Especially, look, at we've seen French teams have complete brain farts um, like Rassing did. <laughs> but, like, we didn't expect Rassing to do it because they are a team who mm. do pride themselves on Europe and have, have been very close uh, to winning one and, and have the, the experience uh, both on and off the pitch to be better than that. And um, it was like they were over anxious or... Are overly pumped up, you know. The, the you know the first penalty for a high tackle, then getting their mall detail wrong. Even the mall try for Porter, you know, uh, that finished off that first sequence. I mean, their def- their line of defence there was they blasted, you know, the wrong the wrong hole, um, and and le- allowed Lens to peel off. So they were just seemed to be, yeah. I, I doubt they weren't up for it, uh, but it it kind of manifested itself like that. It was maybe just. A little bit of fear factor trying to impress Stuart Lancaster. I don't know, but it was it was an untypical racing performance in Europe. To be fair, now credit to Leinster, they were unbelievably accurate. You know, you, you said fifteen lineouts, which or fifteen penalties, which gave Leinster a total twenty five lineouts, and they won twenty five from twenty five. But it wasn't just winning it; it was what they did with it off that and the variety of plays to get them back on the front foot and keep keep their foot on, on Rassing's throat. It was it was near perfect, you know, it was it was near perfect. And um like you know, even someone like Charles Natai, you know, uh Charlie Natai, like people were wondering why Lancer signed him. But when Robbie Henshaw's out, you know, he is incredibly capable. You know, we've seen him play fullback this year. Um he's not flashy, but like a lot of the line out strike plays were around him you know, being that guy taken to the line with the options to play out the back or short. And he, you know, he just does it perfectly. Um, And, you know, a good piece of recruitment, you know, Jason Jenkins, we've talked about this pod before, you know, they're two guys who've come in and then you see guys like Baird, um, you know, who's come through the academy now looking like he's the player we all hoped he was. Dan Sheen, phenomenal porter as a loose head. James Ryan back to his best, you know, so they're in, they're in a really good place. And, uh, they lay down a marker um, in, a, in a competition that looks like there's not as much depth to it as, as maybe there was four or five years ago, but um, it's still going to be very hard won. Um, but yeah, they, they lay down a marker for sure. I think there was a huge amount of frustration last year with the way the, the pool stage went down and the, you know, that, that game against Montpellier that they, they had to forfeit. And it's something that Leo Cullen has brought up unprompted about five or six times since in, in, in the month in the, the 12 months that have passed but they in the last few weeks they've looked like a side that are kind of playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder which maybe they mightn't have in the past yeah but look I mean Munster had about 20 years in Europe playing with a chip on their shoulder I've worked for them for a long long time so it, it helps you've got to find a cause at the start of every year yeah. look there's no doubt the uh, the manner in which they lost the final last year losing to a try and with a minute or two minutes to go. You have the whole scenario around Johnny Sexton finishing up after a brilliant career with Leinster, Stuart Lancaster moving on. The final in the Aviva. I mean, there's a, 
there's there, there's a strong possibility that if you finish in the top seedings, that Leinster could uh, play um, a round of 16, a quarter, a semi and a final in Dublin. Mm. Um, so that incentive is there. Uh, going back to the specifics of, of Saturday's game, um, like Birch mentioned, variety and all that. And, and that's Leinster just keep on evolving. So that opposition do their work on them. They think they have them sussed in a certain area and then they do something different. But even peel it back from that. The most impressive thing for me was Leinster came into this game, you could you could arguably say without three of their most influential players in Ty Furlong, Johnny Sexton, Robbie Henshaw. They've all been, you know, uh, test selections for Lions when they've been on Lions tours. Um, but Leinster just carried on seamlessly. You wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have noticed that they weren't there. Even like Ross Byrne has taken a lot of stick over over the last few years, but every time he steps into that role with Leinster, um, they just carry on seamlessly, um, and that's I think a tribute to him. People spoke about the um, you know the Australia game when he came in. Um, he got that winning penalty, but as a you know, I I, I kind of compartmentalise place kicking in some ways, and that you know that's something that he's always been really good at. But the manner with which he orchestrated uh, Leinster on Saturday, I think, was really impressive. And I think um, you know he's uh, because of of he hasn't been able to translate that, let's say, on the international stage. It's almost as if he doesn't get the credit that he deserves when he's playing with Leinster. Um, but even subtle things, like Birch mentioned, the line out, 25 out of 20 to 5 is phenomenal. But there's also the variety in terms of early on, they drove that mall. Uh, they had Racing guessing all the time, do we keep our troops on the ground? Uh, and then when they thought they were doing that, you saw them doing things off the top of the line out. You saw uh, say Van der Fleer or Dan Sheehan were coming in in the scrum half position so that uh, Gibson Park was almost a playmaker from 10. So that enabled them to get a little bit wider earlier on. Um, things, you know, subtle changes that certainly seemed to catch Racing uh, on the hoop. And um, But the, the most impressive thing then is when you are on top, they just kept their the pedal to the floor. I mean, to win against Racing by 32 points was a phenomenal achievement. And it's it's Birch, it's like it's taking advantage of the openings the Rassing are giving you as well. Obviously, we've we've spoken about the penalties, but they had two yellow cards during the game as well, Rassing. And in that twenty minute block, Leinster <coughs> were fifteen on fourteen. They scored twenty eight points. Yeah, created their forty two. Like you know, that is that is just fully taking advantage of any little opening an opposition is going to give you. Yeah, they're they're absolutely ruthless, and and um, even the the try from Ringrose. Um, like Rassing defend with Finn Russell at thirteen, and Leinster went after him, after him, after him, and it was it took him the fourth attempt. It was the one just before half time where he previously been beaten on the inside by James Lowe, um, but but Rassing recovered the scramble, got him. But in his mind, he got very narrow, and next thing he was beaten on the outside, and and Leinster like how many times we see teams make a line break like that but not finish, uh, and most teams go go to the outside, but. James Lowe hunted back in the inside and gave a delightful pass to, to Gary Ringrose. Like they just, every little error you make, they seem to um, take advantage of it. And for a team, like you could see on the Racing players' faces, you know, the, the frustrations, you know what I mean, that they had and with, with errors they're making, with their indiscipline. And, you know, uh, but Leinster put you in that place where um, you feel like everything's against you, you know what I mean? Um, so I would. I would, have to, I would give Leinster credit for that as well and 
look, the, the reality is because it was such a convincing performance, you still can't go right. They're they're the finished article, they're guaranteed to win it. But yeah. but they are showing all the right signs. Again, now in fairness, let's be honest, this time last year, um, you know, they were or maybe in January, February, some of their form was outstanding as well. So until they have that trophy, I think they'll take no um no comfort in the fact they're playing great rugby. Yeah, I mean it's it's almost a compliment to Leinster that you kind of you can't actually really judge anything about them until May or June. But um on some on some of the individuals, someone you mentioned there, Gary Ringrose. He seems to have brought his game to another level entirely this season where he's he's really producing the big moments on the big days like a brilliant try there the the other day against against Racing but against Ulster coming up with those two tries in the second half to just completely flip the game on its head. And we saw earlier on, he's, you know, he's captaining the side now on a, on a regular occasion. If, if Johnny's away, he seems to have stepped up his game, both in terms of the performances, but also probably from the leadership side of things. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's, he looks like, I mean, he was a player maybe two or three years ago. You wouldn't have, you'd have ever seen him in the captaincy role. Um, but look, the game has evolved so much now that the days of the captain sort of being in charge of everything, it's 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 a collective effort. Um, you know, different players have different responsibilities for different areas on the field, be it defence, calling the line out, whatever. Um, but Ringrose is one of those guys who's just sort of leading by example in terms of he, he does some brilliant things. But for me, it's his work rate, his honesty. I mean, there was a period in the game, if you remember, there was a long kick down into the corner. He chased, I think, was it Legarrick or someone? He put under huge pressure to block the kick. Uh, just this phenomenal commitment. I mean, he nearly knocked his head off. He tried to cover a tackle in the in the far corner. Um, and he, 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 he now looks, is, he has so much time on the ball when he's in possession. I mean, he's matured into this brilliant player. Uh, it's the consistency levels that he brings. Um, he, he, without question, he's been the sort of standout, most consistent performer uh, with Leinster this year. Uh, incredibly unlucky not to have gone on a Lions tour at this stage of his career, but uh, he's just getting better and better. Yeah, and, and for someone virtue isn't necessarily the, the biggest player in the world. He packs an enormous amount into every tackle he puts in. Yeah, there's a real edge to him for such a, I suppose, gentleman off the field, um, which he is. He's uh, he's competitive. He puts his body on the line. Um, he works incredibly hard. He's probably all the behaviours that Lancaster and Cullen want the typical Leinster player to have, and um, he shows them, you know, day in day out, and, and uh, he's just in an incredible form. I mean, when when Leinster needed them against Ulster, the chips were down. You know. He he well, he scored two tries. Um, you know, and and the weekend just against Fiku, you know, who's a who's a top class operator. I mean, um, you know, there's no contest. Ringrose was the best center on the field. And um I think there's there's more in him, you know, there's more in him. And I, I know speaking to people in Leinster, they see him as being the natural successor to Johnny as captain with Leinster. Does that lead to being captain of Ireland? You know, uh, you wouldn't bet against it. Yeah, certainly. I tell you, Bert, you remind me. Sorry, just watching him on Saturday and then going down to Thomond on Sunday. Like we all know, Antoine Dupont, and we probably talk about him in the Leinster and the Munster game. But it's the stuff, you know. Again, yeah. the unglamorous stuff, the consistent work, the chasing of kicks, the sort of covering the backfield to field the high bombs that that Dupont did on Sunday. Outside of all the brilliant things, 
But Ring Rose now has that honesty to his game as well. And if you're playing with him, I mean, um, you know, it's 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 it gives the team a massive lift to have a player who is, um, you know, he he just shows that level of commitment to everything that he does. And um, uh, no, it's 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 phenomenal, really, given how good he was that he could raise his yes. game up another ten percent as he has done consistently this year. Yeah, he's certainly a player in tremendous form. On on this Friday, Gloucester coming to the RDS. That game's going to be live on on RT two and RT player. You'll you'll both be there. What what Birch? What can we expect from from Gloucester? Like if you're looking at the Premiership table, they're they're doing okay. That is it five and four after after nine games. They've kind of had a few highlight wins, a few disappointing defeats. Like they they, they seem to be a side who can who can raise and lower themselves to to various levels. Yeah, they made good progress last year under under Skivington. Um, and a lot of people thought them, you know, be a top four team this year, and they may end up being a top four team. But um, uh, they play a good brand of rugby. Um, uh, to be honest, attack wise, they are quite dangerous. They play for each other. I thought they they were good in the comeback. You know, they had a very poor start against Bordeaux, but showed a lot of composure. But Bordeaux is a Ray record this year is 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 shockingly bad. So I I'd say some of that was down to Bordeaux just pulling up in front, to be honest. Um it's very difficult to see them. There's rumors they may come for the second string. Um I don't yeah, I don't think they would realistically have any aspiration or sorry, any real belief that they could win a Champions Cup. And um we've seen some team, English teams come over here full fully loaded. And go home with their tails between the leg and uh, legs, and I think, you know, from a coaching point of view, is is this something that he's that should he be better off actually sending some some youngsters and effectively doing what Mapedia la- did last year, which is which is throw the game, but you know, tell the players, look, we know it's going to be very difficult. You know, it's an opportunity for individuals to to get a chance, but not blow their heads um, by getting hammered. And Mapedia did that and, and ended up bouncing back and winning the top fourteen. So. You know, and everyone was like, "Oh, how could you recover from a seventy-point loss or whatever it was?" Um, but yeah, you, you can if you actually set the scene that this isn't you know, a game we're gonna we're gonna hang our hats on. And I, I look at I don't know English teams generally don't do that, but it's something he's gonna have to consider because I don't see how you could how Gloucester could realistically think they can beat Leinster this weekend, um, given the kind of mixed form they're in and what Leinster are putting out. And but also as well, like I mean, it's it's obviously a quirk and a and a folly of the, the, the pools we have at the moment, where it's two big pools of twelve and eight go through. As you say, they could send out a second string against Leinster and get absolutely hockeyed. But if they were to pick up, you know, target that last game against Bordeaux, and get a win there, two wins probably gets you into a top eight, and gives you a pretty strong shot at being in the in the last sixteen. Yeah, but it's 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 an indictment of the competition then, isn't it? I have to say I'm not a fan of this format. I much preferred when the pool was six, go straight into your quarterfinal. Uh, I know, obviously, look, you're talking about a global calendar and trying to reorganise the whole season. Uh, if you like, Europe has shown the way by by shedding one round. Like the, the round of 16 is only one game this year. It's not two games. Um but I think it, it just doesn't sit well with me that you're in the second game of a four-game pool and uh, you could very probably send your second team over. Um, you know, uh, 
Having, having also, also, by the way, having won your first game, it's not. It's not yeah. as if they're. You know, it's not as if they're throwing exactly. the competition here. Yeah, exactly. And I look, I, I, I watched the game obviously with commentary duty Friday night. I, I sat down. I watched the Gloucester game, and I mean, if I'm honest, I wasn't overly impressed with them. Um, as Burchard said, Bordeaux's away uh, form has been very poor, but yet they sort of raced into a lead. It was almost as if they couldn't believe they found themselves in that position. Um, Gloucester came back to be fair to them they showed character but then they're playing in front of the shed they, are, they have a, a fantastic support in Gloucester and um, you know they fought their way back into the game and there's great credit due to them for that but um, look I would have thought it's a great opportunity to come over to Dublin play against Leinster you know it's given to him his first comment after the game was well look we're playing against the Irish international team. So I think he sort of set out his mm. his his stall on the game almost immediately in the press conference after winning their opening game. But um, look, I think we've all, uh, we appreciate that the tournament is in a bit of a flux at the moment in terms of the, 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 the way that it's been rejigged and reorganised. A lot of people find it very difficult to follow the format in that, Let's say Munster played Toulouse last week. They'll play them in their last game away, but they go on to play Northampton and Toulouse go away off and play somebody else. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a uh, it's a difficult format to follow in some degrees. And um, but look, I've always been a massive fan of Europe. Um, I still think there is, you know, when when the change happened a couple of years ago and it was driven by the French and the English in particular, um, the changes haven't worked. Um, but look, I think we might have a period, a sort of a holding position until such time as World Rugby finally attacked this whole thing about a global calendar. I mean, we have the South African teams now in Europe, yet their international players are coming back having played in a rugby championship. It's like playing the Six Nations in, in July and August and then going straight into the November series. I mean, they can't continue like that. Um, something has to give. So look, um, you know that'll be for the the administrators down the road. Uh, sorry about that. That that'll be for the administrators down the road. But look, it is having an impact on the tournament right now, and it just doesn't sit well for me. I mean that that Blaster might be considering sending a second team. That Montpellier game that Bert spoke about last year was an absolute farce. Yeah, yeah. 80, 80 points. It did nothing for the image of the tournament. No, certainly didn't. Um, moving back to to monsters. So to lose at the at the weekend, we kind of touched on it at the at the top of the show, and like it's it is it is quite strange when you're coming away from monster losing a game in the Champions Cup at Tolman Park, and you're we're talking a lot about the positives from the game. Like it, it I, I know it it probably speaks to the transition monster are in at the moment and all that, but like if Donald, if you're to to explain to us, we'll say, for maybe someone who didn't watch too much of it and just saw Munster lose at Thomond Park, and we're talking about positive. Like, what were the positives? What is? What are the silver linings in what we saw at the weekend? Uh, well, look, just in terms of the game itself. I mean, if I'm honest, I thought the game went exactly the way that I had felt that it would go in advance of the game. I mean, Munster were always going to put her up to Toulouse. I thought they were outstanding in that opening twenty minutes. Um, but the power game, the, the strength that Toulouse had on the bench was always going to impact on the outcome at the end. And you could see Toulouse, 
even though uh, let's say it was a narrow win at the end, they were absolutely thrilled. Um, the positives that came out of it, you look at it, there was an expectation that the Munster scrum would come under a lot of pressure. It was under pressure at times. They conceded one or two penalties. But even when the, the big changes came in the second half, when uh, Toulouse had the facility to bring in Cyril Boy and, and Charlie Famuina, um, to be fair, I thought Munster held up their end well there. Um, opening 20 minutes from an attacking perspective, again, I think the variety that we saw in attack, the ability to get the ball into the wider channels quicker and earlier, um, you know, is there. It was there um, quite visible early on. Um, the problem for Munster is, you know, if they if they don't control the territory, they if they don't get that foothold in the opposition 22, then they find it difficult. And I think if you look at the way Toulouse they obviously felt that. Toulouse just booted the ball 70 metres down the field all day. They put this white line across the pitch and tackled everything. Um, I also felt there was an element early on as if Toulouse, all I won't say they sat back, but they certainly absorbed everything that Munster threw at them, apart obviously from the Joey Carberry try after 10 minutes. And I think they just worked out that if they could uh, play to their strengths up front, play territory, that they'd eventually win the game. But um, there's no shame in losing to lose by a, a, a couple of points. Munster are judged on a standard uh, of years ago that uh, they're not, qu- not quite at. I mean, I, I would agree with Birch in terms of, uh, I think there's three or four standout teams in Europe now. Um, Munster are in that layer below that. I don't think they're going to be winning the Heineken Cup this year. Um, so therefore, it's a question of... Um, maximising your return from your home games. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd expect Munster. I think they're good enough to beat Northampton home and away. So, therefore, you know, hopefully that they, they could well be qualified for the round of 16 prior to going to Toulouse in that last game. And I think, you know, that's their goal. I think Munster's ambition in this tournament at the moment is to get that home round of 16 for all kinds of reasons, not least financial. But stay in the tournament as long as you can. Keep exposing the younger players. I mean, you have the likes of Coombs and Hodnett. Um, these guys, uh, Craig Casey starting, Jack Crowley coming in. There is more younger players being exposed now. Um, so, uh, I mean, they would have been the positives from my perspective. And Birch, is the, is the next challenge from a Munster point of view, as Donald mentioned, the, the Northampton game is coming up and he's saying there's there's no reason why Munster can't go to Northampton this weekend anyway and and get the win. Is the next challenge for them now to be to be winning those games where they are just about favoured or, or those kind of coin flip games where, you know, it's like it's one thing putting it up to, to, to lose when it's it's back to backs to the walls and there's no issue geeing yourself up for it. But those those games that you just about should be winning that are maybe just just a bit more than a coin flip. Yeah, in fairness, I think they did, they did against Connacht at home, they did against Edinburgh um, Toulouse were were favourites, um, and and justifiably so, and and Munster put them, you know, put them into in uh, under pressure to win. Um, Northampton, I, I think Munster will win in Northampton. Um, I do think from Munster point of view, I'm gutted to see John Ryan, yes, yeah. for the Chiefs. To be honest, I, I I think that's putting a huge amount of pressure on on round three. And while the scrum was was good uh, at the weekend, I think having him there to start. As a help, you know, uh, it settles everyone down, and particularly against the French side, if you can show 
solidity there early in the game, it can generally last uh, the whole game. And I'd just be worried. Salanoa came on and did really well, you know, um, particularly he's a more explosive ball carrier than um, than John Ryan. But, like, that's going to put them under pressure. I, I To be honest, I, maybe I was naive, but I just took it as a given that they would find a way of keeping them for the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the crunch later on, you go down to South Africa in the URC and maybe you need one win out of two. Um, I think they're a little bit light there, you know, they're a little bit light there. And I understand there's financial constraints and I understand that they let him go and they got him back fortuitously because of what happened in Wasp. But, um, and it's a great opportunity for him. I, 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 I totally understand that to play Super Rugby um, you know, what was it Claw, uh, Rob Kearney? Um, we haven't had many, uh, there's probably a couple more, but we haven't had many Irish players who've, who played Super Rugby. Um, it's uh, it's a great opportunity, but yeah, I don't think that helps Graham Rantry, yeah. no, later on in the year. No, he no, was... you're absolutely right. The, the thing that annoys me, sorry, Neil, the thing that annoys me about the, the business around John Ryan, firstly, you should never have been a left go in the first place. Yeah. That was at the end of last year. So therefore, you had all issues in terms of the budget and balancing the budget and all that. But if you don't have a scrum in Europe, you have nothing. And particularly with the South African teams coming into URC, it has an impact there as well. That's the first thing. The second thing is when, uh, obviously, with, with WAS going into administration, John Ryan became available overnight. Uh, in my mind, Munster should have tied him up for the season there and then. They gave him a three-month contract. So therefore, uh, even that was only a half commitment. Because he had a three-month contract, and I would have, I don't know this for certain, but I would imagine he had already agreed to play for the Barbarians in those games against um, you know, the All Blacks 15. Yeah. Um, because he wanted to use that to put him, rightly so, to put him in the shop window. So therefore, when Munster were playing the South African team down in Parky Cueve, John Ryan wasn't available that night. He was away with the Barbarians. And it's almost, look, you reap what you sow. Uh, is it uh, Angus Tuiova has got injured in the Chiefs. John Ryan played with some New Zealand players for the Barbarians in two games and against the New Zealand 15 in that game. So all of a sudden, when the, uh, when the Waikata Chiefs needed a tight head prop, Somebody came up, oh, geez, your man John Ryan, who's available, is really impressive. So, therefore, had Munster tied him up for the year, obviously, he wouldn't have been available. Had they not agreed to let him go to play for the Barbarians when he should have been playing down in Parky Cueve, then this wouldn't have come up. So, Munster are the architects of their own downfall in this. And I, I agree 100% with Birch. I think this will come back to bite them in the arse uh, by the end of the season because... He brings that solidity to the tight head side of the scrum. You've uh, Stephen Archer has been out injured for a while. Uh, Salanoa and Kane and Knox are a work in progress. But if you're starting one of those, there's no question the bigger packs are going to target you early on. That gives you the opportunity to paint a picture for the referee in terms of early dominance. And it's hard to come back from that. Whereas when you start with a solid platform and you work from there, it's it's totally different. So um, I'd say privately, Graham Rowntree must be seething that Munster have allowed this happen. Yeah, and Birch, obviously, the, the other thing as well is, okay, Stephen Archer is coming back to fitness soon, so they'll, they'll get one back. But again, they're only one tight head injury away from having to go out and try find an emergency signing all over again. 
Yeah, it's it's um, it's madness to be honest. And I, look, it's, I just I, I really fear for entry and the coaching staff and the Munster fans because this was as Don said, this was an error that was made last year, and they actually got a a kind of a joker card that they could have got themselves out of it mm. and have missed the opportunity. And I can I understand there's there's financial elements um involved financial reason behind it but I still think you know, we want all our provinces to be able to put their best foot forward and, and give them the tools to compete and, and this situation here Munster could end up playing one hand behind, behind her back later on in the year if, if Archer gets another setback yeah and you 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 say the tools to compete I mean we're all we're all thrilled to see the way that Munster are looking to expand their game we're all uh, I, I I think there is even within the players there's a lot of positivity around the coaching staff uh, Mike Prendergast, we've spoken about on many occasions in terms of what he's trying to do in attack. But Mike Prendergast can't do anything if the scrum is running backwards and you're trying to play off that. Um, it's just an impossibility. Like, you've got to get your basics right. Um, and Munster have left the door open there in terms of the way this whole John Ryan thing has been uh, handled. Yeah, and we'll have to just wait and see and see how that one goes over the next few months. So that's uh, Munster against Northampton Sunday afternoon. Saturday evening uh, is Ulster at home against La Rochelle. Well, we think it's at home against La Rochelle as of this morning. I don't know, fellas, did you see the Irish Independent? Rory O'Connor is reporting he is an exclusive that uh, there are there are doubts the game could actually be played at Kingspan Stadium. The pitch is apparently frozen at the moment and... You know the weather isn't necessarily going to be getting any uh, any warmer anytime soon. I think it might be going up to two or three degrees maybe in the next couple of days. So there are doubts as to whether that can be played at Kingspan Stadium. They're looking at possible alternatives. It could be moved to a Sunday game if they think the pitch can be thawed out. If not, they might end up having to play it at the RDS. So Birch, that just throws another spanner into the works from an Ulster point of view after what's been a, a completely chaotic 10 days. Yeah, just it might it might um, save them the shame of having to run out in front of their home fans who were who were pretty disappointed with what happened last week. But um, yeah, look, it'll be a, it's a tough fixture anyway. Um, it, it's going to be so interesting to see if they if they bounce back. You know, I did fear for them going up the road after the RDS, just the nature of way of the way that game unfolded, um, how that would affect them mentally and and the, the knock the confidence it would give them. And then, but to be honest, I actually expected them to. Beat Sale. Um, I thought there'd be a uh, a real reaction, and, and there was nothing. And Sale are a good team. Sale are a good team. Alex Anderson's done a good job, and they've, they've got some very good players. But you know, to to not score a point, um, to concede that many was was worrying. And 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 McFarland, in fairness, you know, as a coach, he's saying, look, at, you know, we've had two bad. He didn't even say we've had a bad sixty minutes or and a, and a bad eighty minutes. You know, don't be too hard on us, but. Certainly, they they need a reaction, and if that game is taken away from Raven Hill, I mean it's um it's certainly even more of an advantage to to La Rochelle because Raven Hill is a is a is a very difficult place to go, um so I'd say they'll do everything in their power to get that game played there. Can they bounce back? Look at the, they're too good to be shipping thirty eight points to get against anybody, you know. Um, but it's a it's a it's a test of their character as much as their 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 skill or talent. Donald, Dan McFarland has been at pains not to use it as an excuse and he's been asked about it a couple of times since the game on, on Sunday and he's completely tried to push it out to performance and, and putting it on themselves. But the travel chaos they had in getting 
to to Manchester on Sunday. Considerably worse than what Leinster had to endure on, on Friday going over to France. You know, they were hours and hours in the air in Belfast Airport on on sat on Saturday evening. Couldn't get their flight. It was eventually cancelled. In the end, you had players getting out of bed at half past four on Sunday morning to go and fly over to, to Manchester, get on a or to some to Birmingham, get on a bus for two hours and travel up to to the game. I mean does does that explain a performance like that in some way? I'm not talking about does it completely cover it, but the, like surely that has an impact on the on the preparation. Yeah, look, of course it's a mitigating factor, but um and, and it's a reason for what happened. But it's a reason yeah. then that you can turn into an excuse if that is your mindset. Um, you know, I know you we, we mentioned earlier on Leinster no excuse culture. I think Andy Farrell within Ireland has a no excuse culture. I go back to New Zealand. Uh, I stayed in the same hotel as Ireland in, in Wellington, or sorry, in, in Auckland in that first week when players were dropping with COVID, when uh, some of the coaching staff had COVID, uh, when they picked up three injuries in the first game against the Maori alone. Like, there are reasons for you not to perform or not to turn up. But Andy Farrell actually saw that as a positive because these are things that can happen in a World Cup. You can lose five players as Ireland did in 2015 on the eve of a, a quarterfinal. So this is a test of your character. Of course, given the chaos that Ulster had, there was a reason for them um, uh, uh, to perform, maybe not to perform at their optimum, but to flip it to a case, I mean, 39, like what's worse, conceding 39 or scoring none, um, the worry that I have for Ulster, and you go back over the last three or four years, every time you think they're on the verge of doing something, every time there is an element of expectation surrounding where Ulster are, they seem to fall flat on their faces. We've seen it numerous times. You go back last year, Champions Cup, like they, they have that win away against Toulouse, concede a try in the last minute, given this is the round of 16, home and away average. They're in a great position in Ulster the following week. But you always felt in the back of your head that Ulster will find a way to lose this. And that's exactly what they did. They ended up, was it, I think, 49-50 was the average score in that round of 16 last year. They came to the RDS a couple of weeks ago. Brilliant run of form. The only team they'd lost to was Ulster. Keane Healy gets sent off after 20 minutes. You're leading by 19 points. You just can't... Like, teams that have aspirations to win silverware can't let situations like that run away from them. So, therefore, there's... Like, for me, there's something missing. I have great time for McFarland. I look at that Ulster backline, all young academy guys. They've been doing brilliantly. They've beefed up up front. Uh, you know, obviously the intent is there and they've been unlucky. Rory Sutherland got injured. They've bought kits off for next year. So they're addressing areas that they may have seen as potential weaknesses. But if they don't address this mental thing, whereby just when they're in tipping point of, of really doing something well, they, they seem to take two steps backwards. Um, uh, and, and I think that is sort of sitting at the back of their heads at the moment. Yeah. Donald mentioned um, Keen Healy's red card in that Leinster game, Birch, and Andy Warwick of Ulster has been has been cited this week for for his tackle on on Manu Tuilangi. Um, very very similar tackles, even down to the the stance of the player, the way the 
the way Tuilangi was running at Warwick in comparison to how Tom Stewart was running at Key and Healy. So on the pitch on Sunday, Matthew Raynell decided it was nothing more than what I think was nothing more than a penalty or nothing more than even than the, the scrum that was awarded. It's going to be really, really interesting. Whatever, whatever your view of both incidents are, it's actually going to be really interesting to see what decision comes of this sighting now. If you bear in yeah, mind, Healy was cleared of that red card last week because they're very, very similar incidents. Yeah, they are. To be honest, I was surprised Keane was was cleared. I thought on the pitch that was a that was a red card. Um, so the fact that he's, the Warwick has been cited would would um, lead me to believe that there was uh, sufficient doubt around 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 that. So it is going to be interesting. I mean, but again, if he is banned, it's just inconsistency. You know, <laughs> we're like we're not. We're not getting any real clear trends in how to deal with head high contact, and and regardless of intent, you know, um, and that's just that's the surprising thing for me is that we're what are we on? We're two years into this real focus now on making the game safer, and we see decisions made or not made that aren't uh, consistent. So uh, it's another. I thought at the time more it could have got red to be honest. Um, I should have got red. Um, but then, because of the Healy thing, I was like, I was having a doubt about it. You know what I mean? But um, now he cited, it makes you believe that someone feels that there was legitimate um, seriousness in it to to warrant another look. Yeah, and people can be quick to to criticize a referee in circumstances like this, Donald. But I was I was covering that game, and Matthew Raynal, he's going through it, and he's listing off the various mitigating faster factors, and he is pretty much giving a a bullet point by bullet point copy and paste version of the mitigating factors from Keane Healy last week. So in theory, Matthew Raynell and his, his officials, they're being consistent with, with a decision from last week, but two days later, the inconsistency crops up again when the sighting comes up. Yeah. And I think this is an issue for uh, referees. I spoke to one international referee coming back from the, the summer series. And in some respects, they feel they've been held out to dry because you know, as you say, um, they have a clear sort of um, code of conduct in terms of the way that they address all these um, collisions. Now, to be fair, I, I didn't see uh, the, the Warwick to an angry one, so I can't comment on it. But um, and I'm not doing an, an Arsene Wenger there. I just didn't get to see. Oh, I only saw the highlights of the Ulster game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult for 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 referees. But look, the bottom line is, I think we have got to a stage now where any head on head, um, you're almost uh, this whole player welfare thing. You're looking at player education, dropping heights, and all that type of thing. So therefore, when you bring back in the grey areas, um, like the um, there was a suggestion that uh, there were mitigating circumstances around. The um the reduction of Key and Healy's red card, but they never actually told us what they were. So mm-hmm. that in itself creates doubt. And that from if they came out and said this is exactly why um we're um pulling back on the red card, then you might understand it. Like from a commentary perspective, you're in the match there, you're trying to give your opinion of what happens. Uh, the whole process takes so long anyway, because you have the dialogue between the TMO and the referee and the assistants. Um, you know, it's it's not perfect, but look, I think we have to accept that there is a process here, whereas we're trying to take the danger out of the tackle area. Um, and look, if you're going to err, then I think you have to err on the side of doing what's right in terms of 
player welfare. Mm-hmm. You go along those lines, Birch? 100%. 100%. I think this is... We can't go into a World Cup um, with pundits, supporters, players, coaches um, being able to look back at an incident and not be sure how it's going to be refereed or decided upon. I think that's the that's the next step for World Rugby. And ultimately, it's not fair on the referees either. No, no, it's it's very hard to referee. The game is incredibly hard to referee, um, and we're as a as a as a as a sport, we're making it even harder, which is madness. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, just on, on that point, I'll go back. The second test in um, in Dunedin, Ireland, New Zealand, when you had the, do you remember you had the yellow cards against the the New Zealand tight end prop? Then you had the yeah. sending off. Then you had um, Artie Savea being taken off. There was the uncertainty. Then do you go down to thirteen? Um, because there was an uncontested scrum for a period of about three or four minutes in the game. Then you had the fourth official deciding that Artie Savea couldn't go back on when the yellow card period was up. So, like, it's complex enough for people who were, who were in the game all your lives. Imagine the casual observer who's interested in sport. He's watching the game, and yet you have all this uncertainty. And, and that particular incident was one where uh, certainly the referees felt hung out to dry there um, because it was totally unclear what was going on. I mean, that shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. No, certainly shouldn't. Finally, fellas, before we finish up, just just quickly, there's probably not much we can kind of talk about it at the moment because there's a an appeal ongoing. But Birch, obviously, yesterday, uh, French Rugby Federation President Bernard Laporte, one of the most influential people in the game, he was uh he was given a two year suspended prison sentence yesterday, just under a year out from from the World Cup after uh after. Uh, a court ruled he showed favoritism in awarding a, a shirt sponsorship contract to uh to Altred, who are obviously sponsoring France and the All Blacks as well. Like ultimately, this casts an enormous shadow on on everything that's happening in in French and World Rugby in the next twelve months. But ultimately, over the World Cup, yeah, the World Cup will will be will be uh, tarnished or the, the fact that they got the one to bid, but but it'll drive on. You know, uh, France will will host the World Cup. Um, it'll be a cracking World Cup, and um, people will forget about it. And in France, to be honest, my experience of of, of situation of this will be, he'll be lauded as a as a bit of a hero because he's he's done, he's got France on, on track to have a whole World Cup, and obviously as a national team, they're performing at a level that they hadn't performed about since he was actually well better than he was when he was coach, but they were very strong when he was a coach. So he's a a fascinating individual in that. He was a successful coach with with France with Toulon. Uh, he was a minister for sport, um, and then he bounced back into, you know, the sport administration or rugby administration, and got the right people around him and and made a clear plan to get French rugby back to the top of the of the world or at the top of the world. Maybe they were never there, um, and obviously part of that was getting a home World Cup. But the clubs and the and the federation now are aligned. Um, the TV deals are in place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The 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 national team is given priority, whereas probably when I was there with Grenoble, the clubs were given the priority. So he has done a huge amount. Unfortunately, uh, um, it's 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 um, it's sad to see that some of it was was done in a corrupt manner. If if the suspension holds, um, and yeah, but I don't think in France, I mean. In France, it's amazing. I noticed that people who 
um, break the law and, and cut corners tend to not be seen as being um, not worthy, but actually sometimes get get to the top very quick. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, 100%. And uh, I'm sure we're going to be reading and hearing a lot more about it over the over the next few months. Don Lennon, <clears throat> excuse me, Bernard Jackman, thanks a million for joining us. Just as my, my voice is about to go, timing. we've timed it well. Uh, fellas, thanks a million for joining Thank us you. and uh, enjoy yourself. Right. This weekend, we'll speak to you again soon. See you. Bye bye. Cheers.